Well, my name is Steve Doucette, and I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone, and today I get to share from the Word with you. I'm very excited about that. Anytime I get the opportunity, I love to open God's Word and share and just dig in and go deep. I was thinking while I was preparing this week that we're awfully lucky that there's order in this world. Are we not? Aren't we lucky that God's a God of order? You know, some think think that everything started with this big bang and somehow out of all that chaos, order just kind of happened. But we know that not to be true because order never comes out of chaos. We have order in the world because we have a creator and that creator, God, has order. In fact, you can see it. You can see it as you look up to the stars in the sky. They're not all just falling down. They're not crashing in to one another, but there's actually order as the universes are held together, all those different universes, even ours. As you see how far the sun is from the earth and how we get heat from that, and if it was a little bit further, we would all freeze, and a little bit closer, we would all burn up. Or even the earth itself, how it spins, and we don't fall off because it spins at a perfect speed as it's rotating around the sun, and all of that is part of God's order. More simply, we look outside and we see trees that grow and plants, and we understand that each one of those come from a seed. And a seed only grows its type of plant. It has order. You can't put an apple seed in the ground and get an orange tree, can you? And from that seed will grow vegetation, and if the vegetation is supposed to grow fruit, it grows its right fruit, there's order. And we're lucky that that order is in place and that God sets all that. And we don't even have to concern ourselves with most of those things because we know that God holds it all together. But also in our culture, we see that we have order. We have structures, right? We have governments, governing authorities. Romans 13 says that we're underneath those government authorities. We're supposed to submit to them because God places all rulers in their rightful place and they cause order. But in some places in the world, there's no order. You, you lack order. In fact, I brought some pictures, and I want to show you these pictures. This is a place I visited in Asia, and you can see the road. It's kind of interesting. See how the lines are in the road towards the top of the picture, but then down at the bottom, the lines go away. And as the lines go away, you start losing order. And as you lose order, let's go to the next picture, You can see that all of a sudden the cars, there's no longer the two lanes that you see back there, but people start floating around and driving all over the road. Let's go to the next one. In fact, it gets real bad when you go to the city and you get in the city streets. Go ahead to the next. Some of these streets you can't even get through. They just gridlock. They're all locked up. And people don't go always in the right direction. And you've got bikes and people in the middle. Let's go to the next one. You have people walking out in the middle. You can see that trucks are out there. It was really amazing. They had like a turnabout, and they had a gentleman that was on top of the turnabout, and he was trying to direct traffic. And as he's directing traffic, no one is paying attention to him. And you have cars coming in the turnabout like this angle, and then you have cars leaving at different angles, and it was just a mess, and everybody's blocked, and he's up there blowing a whistle a little higher than everyone else, and everybody, it's like he's not even there. Let's go to the next one. And this is a picture from inside the car. 
So this picture we took from the car out the windshield, down one of those same side streets when it's really busy, and you can see there's literally people all over the place. There's not one direction, it's just chaos. And that's what happens, right? If we remove order, if we don't have order, then all of a sudden we start getting confusion. We start getting conflict. And it goes all the way down if it keeps going to chaos. You see, you need order because if you don't have order, if there isn't some kind of rule that we stay within, some lanes that we stay within, then all of a sudden everything can go awry and you can have complete chaos. I titled today's sermon, God's Established Order for the Home, and that's where we're at in Colossians. So if you'd open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, We'll look at God's established order for the home. Colossians 3, 18. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole passage to you, and then we'll, we'll dig in a little bit. Starting at 3.18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. There's basically three different categories that are in this passage. There's husbands and wives, fathers and children, and then bond servants and masters. And we're going to take it apart with those three in mind. We're going to look at the order that God has placed. Remember, this is God's word, living and active. And he places order inside of the household so that we know how to live, so there's no confusion there's no conflict. Of course, there's always conflict, but there's less conflict, and there's no chaos. If we go outside of what God writes, then we start seeing the very fabric coming apart. And not only does it affect your household, but it starts affecting everything else in society, the very fabric of our society. So we could conclude and say, well, if our house isn't right, then that's going to go into different areas of our life. We're going to bring it to our work, to our schools, to everything else, our communities, our neighbors, and it's going to outflow. And then we look at chaos, out of control, outside of God's order. So we're going to go from the bottom up. We're going to start with verse 22 to 4.1. And we're going to talk about bond servants and their masters. So that should be up there. 
And here we go. Verse 22, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, this was a household. Households were different back at this time. They were much bigger than our average household we have today. Sometimes older kids were living there with their spouses, with their children. So you could imagine they get a lot of people within the household. And these servants would be under the authority of the person who owned that house, the husband of that home whom has children, possibly their spouses, with grandchildren, or even their own children, without spouses. But you notice that word obey. The word obey means that it's a legal obligation as well as a biblical obligation. You are to obey. You are to follow directions. You are to be obedient. There's not a question in this one. Legally, biblically, you're under the authority. You submit yourself 100% because of the law, because of the Bible. You are under that person that's over you. Notice it says in everything. See, this is a problem, right? A lot of times we say, okay, I understand what God's word says, but some of the things I really don't want to follow. Well, you picture in this case, a bondservant, well, I'll follow some of your rules, but there's other ones that I just don't agree with, so I think I'll step out of those, and I won't follow in that way. Well, again, it can cause confusion. It can cause conflict, because all of a sudden, someone's stepping out of the rule, if you will, in the pattern that's set, and what does that show everybody else that's in that home? Well, then maybe if he does it, I should do it. Well, maybe if it's all right for him and he gets away with it, maybe I'll try to get away with it too. Maybe I don't have to obey in everything. Maybe it's just the things I agree with. But God's word clearly says obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. We could liken this because we don't have this in today's day and age in our home, but we could say we could bridge this over to an employer and an employee. Because when you're hired by someone, you often have a job description, right? Sometimes you're under contract and you're working for that person and you're under their rules. You can't just change the rules. You're called to be under those rules. That's what you're getting paid for. So we could almost bridge that over and say, okay, employer and employee, if you're employed by someone, you need to follow everything that's set out before you. Otherwise, you're going to cause chaos. But what if I don't agree with it? Well, you go to that person and you let them know what you don't agree with, but ultimately they have the call. Do we agree? But what if they're doing something wrong? Well, you have the right to leave that establishment. You have the right to call authorities if it's something that's illegal. But again, you're under their rule as they run the business as they go forward because you're hired by them. You're putting yourself under that. I love this. He says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. So in other words, not just when they're watching you. Not, not just looking good and looking busy when they walk in the room. He says, but with sincerity of heart. 
So in other words, understanding, well, I'm under this authority. This is what God has put into place. And this is the authority I'm underneath. So with sincerity of heart, with singleness of heart, I'm going to obey everything that's put out in front of me. I'm going to work in a way that what? Honors the Lord. And he goes as far as saying, fearing the Lord. With sincerity of heart, knowing that this is what God wants for you, and your, your heart is to please God. So if you're a Christian bondservant, and you know that the Lord has you in this particular place, and this is your life for life, you find contentment in it, and then you follow the rules, and you say, yeah, I know God's eyes are on me always. The fear of the Lord. So not only am I sincere, but I understand that it's God, the mighty Father, that's calling me, that's watching me, that I'm accountable to. If you want to look up fear and awe of the Lord, I can give you a few passages. Look up Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. This would be good for you during this week. Look at Ezekiel 1, 22 through 28. Or Revelation 4, 1 through 11. In Ezekiel, it says this, as he's describing what he's looking at, as he's getting a glimpse of heaven, Ezekiel says, Over the heads of the living creatures, there was a likeness of an expanse shining like awe-inspiring crystals spread about over their heads. And under the expanse, the wings, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another, and each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard a sound of their wings, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of triumph, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings, and there came a voice from above. And the expanse over their heads, when they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their heads, there was a likeness of a throne in appearance, like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of the throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw it were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire and there was brightness around him. Like the appearance of a bow that is in the clouds on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard the voice of the Lord speak. There's this reverence that we forget about, that God's word, when we read it, it's supposed to do something to our hearts, and we're supposed to follow it. And to these bondservants, it's saying, yes, you do it with a singleness of heart. The singleness of heart is following God. You're following Christ. You understand what you're doing and why you're living and where you're going and where your hope is set. And in that, you remember the fear of the Lord. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10. Let us not forget that. How important it is 
to have this fear. You say, what does this fear look like? I don't want to be afraid of God. No, it's awe. It's the falling on your face. It's reverence. It's giving him the honor and the glory that is due him and no one else. Go on in that that passage on verse 23, and it says this. Whatever you do, work heartily. So in other words, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with everything you are. So not only with the right heart, but with this force in back of it. Not just when they're looking, but at all times. Not to please man, but to please God. He says, as, he says work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I love that. Work as you're working for the Lord, not for men. You know, we have this big thing, right? This fear of man, don't we? Doesn't it like seep into all different areas of our life? Thoughts like this. I wonder what he's going to think about me. I wonder if I teach on this certain passage. I wonder what they're going to think. I wonder what they're going to say. If I talk about Jesus, are they going to think I'm crazy? Are they going to think I'm some kind of freak? Right? Well, maybe they won't think I'm real smart. i got to present myself in a certain way so they kind of look at me and they think maybe I'm smart. We have this fear of man, and sometimes the fear of man is what stops us from doing what God calls us to do. Sometimes the fear of man stops us from doing the very things that God calls us to do. An example. We're supposed to make disciples. We're supposed to go out and spread the good news. We're supposed to talk about Jesus. Sometimes we fear that. What are they going to think if I say this? What are they going to they're going to look at me differently? Well, the bondservant, as he serves, he's supposed to be working as he works to the Lord. The Lord's supposed to be on his mind. He's not worried about what men think, what men say, how they perceive him. He works wholeheartedly as working for the Lord. Because he knows there's an inheritance. A while back, I taught in Peter, and I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 3, and it says this. Or for First Peter chapter one, I'm sorry, chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, these bond servants, they might not have had much. They might have been at the whim of the one that was overseeing them. They might have just got enough to survive. But they could look forward to this inheritance that God promised them. They could look forward to this salvation that they knew about. This inheritance that's being held in heaven waiting for them. They could think about that, and then when they work, it changes the way that they respond to the person that's over them. It changes the way, the effort that they put into the work that they do. You're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That goes for any Christian. 
in any place. That definitely does go for the employee that's working for the employer. To think this, God has me in this place, and he has a plan for me in this place. And I can be a witness for him and a testimony in this place. And how I handle myself, how I respond, how I work, my ethic. And there's a warning there, and he says, and the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. We know that God shows no partiality. Romans 2, 11. He's fully just. He's fully right. He's fully righteous. He's fully God. He can't play favorites. That payback might be on earth, might be a response for you not obeying. You might lose your job, might be asked to leave. You might not be get another job, a bad reference. Or it's just when you stand before the Lord and he says, what did you do with the time that I gave you on earth? How did you do with the words that were presented to you in scripture? And then chapter four, verse one it focuses on the masters. It says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Don't let it go to your head. Don't think of yourself more than you are. Don't allow pride to get in. Don't treat them unfairly. Don't take advantage I have some very dear Christian friends, and I love how they look at their businesses. They look at their businesses as an opportunity to help others provide and do ministry, provide for their families, and minister to others in the community. And these are totally secular companies. They feel the responsibility and the burden for all those employed underneath them. They feel the the responsibility and the burden to be a good witness, a good testimony to them. They don't want to somehow smear God's name. They don't want to step out of these bounds. We might not do it perfectly, but this is where our heart has to be, to treat fairly and justly. And that was a warning to the masters of that time. And then we go on to our next slide, and we're going to talk about children and the parents. Verse 20 and 21. Starting with 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So verse 20, again, the word obey, both biblical and legal, right? Parents have a legal responsibility. They have a legal authority over their children. So this word obey comes into effect, or into effect. And what are they supposed to obey in? Some things, what they like, what seems right, or do they obey in everything? Everything. There's a lot of problems in our homes isn't there? And we see a lot of rebellion with children not wanting to obey their parents. Am I right? 
And sometimes it's really, really difficult. Like, where's that line? How, how do I really enforce these rules on top of them? How do I keep them within their boundaries so it doesn't turn into confusion or conflict or chaos? I got to tell you, that would be like a whole nother long teaching to get into all the aspects of that. But I will say that we have to remind our kids that this is a command. That they are commanded to obey their parents in everything. That there's not an option in this. That they have to obey, otherwise they're going to cause this conflict again that leads to chaos. The world is going to want to pull them different ways. The world is going to give a different message. And all of this passage that we're studying right now, you can, your mind will go to the world is teaching something totally different than this, Steve. The world is really pulling at this, Steve. The world is making this really difficult to do. But don't forget, this is God's word. And children are to obey in everything. That means that we have to make sure when we set down the rule that we're keeping them within that rule. That we're not moving the lines, if you will. That they understand that there's actually a line that's drawn. That they actually understand that there's rules that are set down that they have to follow. That they're not bent just because they want to bend them. We have to have the authority with them. We're the ones that will be accountable for our children if we did what the Bible says, bringing them up in the training and instruction of the law. Ephesians 6. It says, children, obey your parents in everything, no matter what is set down, because they have the right, even if you don't think it's right, listen, even if you think you have a better way, you still obey. And it says, fathers, do not provoke your children. Do not provoke, do not frustrate, do not make anger, anger, angry, I'm sorry. Some of the ways we do that is we don't listen to them. We're the ones that are dominating and we're talking, we're setting down rules, but we're not explaining why those rules are there. We're not walking them through, we're not, we're not helping them to understand them. We don't listen to their side. You have to listen, you have to let them speak, you have to... You have to let them be part of this process so they can learn, and it's their heart that's doing it for the right reason, not just behavior modification. And then our, our last part of this passage is for husbands and wives. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Now you notice it's not obey. It's very interesting. This is one thought that Paul is writing down, one, one big thought for the household, and he has obey for the bondservants, he has obey for the kids, but for the husband, what does he have? He has submit. That word submit means to willfully put yourself under the authority of others. There's not a legal obligation, there's a biblical obligation. Again, this is what God sets up, and he sets up the standard for the home so the husband leads the wife. And so many times in our culture, we cringe when we hear that, hear that word submit. In fact, the word submit is one of those words we don't want to hear a lot of times, or we don't want to say because we have a fear of man. 
I do premarital counseling, and a lot of times in premarital counseling, we get to this, and this causes the most conversation. Well, wait a minute, I don't want to submit. The Bible doesn't say I have to submit. Well, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Willfully and lovingly. You see, I think our culture has the wrong idea of what submission looks like. I think what our culture thinks is that if you submit to someone, that means you're less than. Well, understand, this isn't the only place. Remember, we have a parallel passage in Ephesians 5, starting at verse 22. You can write that down. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Titus 2 through 5, or Titus 2, 5, excuse me. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. Well, I'll talk about this, and that's all New Testament, about the husband being over the wife, the roles that are laid out biblically. But there's plenty of places in the Old Testament. You can go back to creation. And the man was created first. And the man was the one who named all the animals. And then God said these words. God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then out of the man, he creates the woman. And he names the woman. Just like we name our children. You see, there's an order in creation at the very beginning. And it's not always easy because man is the one who's mentioned when sin comes into the world. When God approaches, he says, man, why did you listen to her and eat of that fruit? And it says in the New Testament, because of one man, sin entered the world and affects everyone. You see, so not only does he have this authority, but he has a responsibility. He's accountable for these things. So when you look at it in the marriage context, you say, okay, well, yeah, it's a big role. And he's over the wife, and the wife's supposed to lovingly submit to his authority in the house. But you've got to understand, at the end of the day, he's going to report to God. How did you do with my child? How did you care for her? How did you lovingly lead her? Why submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord? That term there as fitting in the Lord means as a Christian. As a believer in Christ, it's fitting because it's God's rule. And as God's child, wife, submit to the authority of your husband. Wives, come underneath. Allow him to lead you lovingly. Allow him to have the position that I set up from the very beginning. First Corinthians 11.3 says this. And again, this is Paul. He says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. You see, there's even order in the Trinity. There are these roles in the Trinity. Do you understand that? Let me read it again to you. But I want you to understand, Paul says, that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. 
John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. His authority to give. His authority to send his son. Even in the Trinity, there are these roles. John 6, 38. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In the garden, when Jesus was praying, right? He was going to go to the cross, and he has this cup. He says, Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me. But not my will be done yours. Jesus submitted to the authority of the Father. Did that make him any less than? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all fully God. All share the same attributes. All, all are holy, set apart. All are the same in authority. But yet there's these roles. Do you get that? Husband and wife are both created in the image of God. Male and female, he created them in the image of God. Standing before God, they're just as important to, as, as one another. They're just as important to God. There's no difference. There's just these roles. And remember, if you remove or go outside or don't obey, then there's confusion. There's conflict. And there's chaos. Boy, I can't tell you. Think about your marriage. Think about things that go on. I can tell you the majority of women that I meet with want their husband to to have this role as servant leader in the home, to lead them. Sometimes the men don't step up. Sometimes the men just step back and they just let things happen. You see, there's a lot of responsibility that goes with this. In premarital, sometimes the men are very nervous about it. They say, well, I don't know how to do that. She knows more about God than I do. How am I going to be this leader? Well, what you're going to do, you're going to spend time in the Word, and you're going to spend time in prayer. That's what you're going to do. You're going to learn what this role looks like. You're going to learn what the Lord wants from your life. You're going to learn how to love your wife. You're going to learn how to live sacrificially. You're going to learn how to lead her as God calls you to lead her. Other times, the wives just won't let their husbands lead. Sometimes the wives will say, yeah, I want my husband to lead. And then they'll just keep stepping in and keep stepping in. And, but, you know, he's going to do it wrong. Listen, being a leader, you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to skin your knees. You're going to get some bruises. You're going to have to let him lead. As long as he's loving the Lord, as long as he's following the Lord, and he's not calling you into sin. If he's calling you into sin, then that's the deal breaker. You say, I don't have to follow you then, because that's not in the Lord. But as long as it's in the Lord, he might not make the best choice, but he'll learn from it. You need to support your husband. You need to be there cheering him on. You need to be there just, just behind him saying, let's go. Let's be all that we can be in the Lord. I wanted to point out that the fall, the consequences of the fall, put a deterrent in this. In Genesis 3, one of the consequences of the fall 
This will be a little something that you could do for further study, but in Genesis 3, verse 16, as a consequence of the fall, God says to the woman, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now remember in creation it was set up that the man, the man was the firstborn, he was the head, and that the wife was the helpmate for the man. But then sin comes in the world, and you know how sin distorts and destroys everything. So you see this verse, and you say, well, what does this actually mean? I don't get it. What the desire shall be for the husband. And some theologians will say, well, that's kind of like a desire for him as a person or a physical desire. But to translate it rightly, what we do is we go to the very next chapter, chapter 4, four verse seven and, 7, and look what it says. This is God talking to Cain, and he says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. It's worded the same exact way as this is worded in Genesis 3. And the meaning of that, the sin having desire for you, means sin wants to overtake, wants to overpower and see, sin gets in the world, and that's what happens. All of a sudden, the wife's going to have this desire to overtake and overpower the role that God established in the first place. And we see that over and over and over in society. And just like in those streets, right? All of a sudden, you take out the lines, and it starts getting blurry, and all of a sudden, it starts getting real messy, and who's going to make the call, and who's the lead, and who's the follower, and all of a sudden, you get chaos, because the structure that God established, the order that he put to marriage is blurred. You'll never see the Trinity reversed in Scripture. You'll never see God the Father asking or wanting to do the will of Jesus the Son. Those roles are set in place. You'll never see it stated as it does, wives submit to your husbands. You'll never see it say, husbands submit to your wives. The roles that are laid out in Scripture are consistent. I took down a quote and it says, In modern society, we tend to think this way. If you're a person who's under or has authority over another, that's a good thing. If you're someone who has to submit to an authority, that's a bad thing. But that's not the world's, but that is the world's viewpoint. And it is not true. Submission is a rightful authority. It is good and noble and a wonderful thing because it reflects the interpersonal relationships within God himself. As the wives submit to their husbands, they say, okay, I'm staying in God's order. And just as there's submission in the Trinity and the son submits to the father, he came to do his will and he walked all the way to the cross. Even though he didn't want to take the wrath of God, he still did it. And that beautiful submission so that we can have salvation and we could be made right and we can say, and we want to live that way. We want to have order in our marriage. We want to honor God in our marriages. But again, never if he tries to lead us into sin. Or you into sin. Husbands, verse 19, this is the end. Love your wives 
and do not be harsh with them. This word love, men, is an action word. You don't love your wives by just getting along, not saying anything, not causing any problems. Love is action. This word love here is a sacrificial type of love. No greater love is this than a man would lay down his life for the brethren. In, a, in our passage that goes along with this one in Ephesians, it says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives, it says in Ephesians, as you love your own body. You clothe yourself. You make sure that you're taken care of. You eat when you're hungry. When you're cold, you put on a, a sweater or a blanket or a jacket, whatever it might be, but you care for yourself without even thinking of it. Husbands, love your wives in the same way. Care for them. Take care of them like they're your own body. This idea of being one flesh, you're, you're together. When she hurts, you should be hurting. When she has concerns, you should be directly going after the concerns. Loving them means leading them, presenting them holy and blameless, washing them with the word, it says in Ephesians, spending time to teach them what God's word says, leading them, using the, helping them to use their gifts for the church, getting them plugged in with other believers, making sure your family's around other believers so there's fellowship going on. Loving them. Love is What? What is love? What do you think of when I say love is? Unconditional. What else? Patient. What else? A choice. Kind. What else? Keeps no record of wrongs. What else? Sacrificial. Listen, all of this that we're saying right now are descriptive words of action. They're verbs. You can't say you're patient and not be patient. You can't say you're kind without showing kindness. You see, love is an action. Right here, it's an action. And men, we have to do a good job at loving our wives. Lovely, loving, leading our wives. And not being harsh. The flip side is sometimes we take advantage of the leadership. We want to dominate. That's not what it's talking about in the scripture. We want to lay down rules, and we want those rules to be followed. We're very cold and callous. We just lay down the lines and say, okay, you better walk within them or else. That's not doing it with love. We're going to have communion together. And I want you to think about your own household. What does this look like in your household? What does this look like with you and your kids if your kids are in your household? It doesn't have an age on there, by the way. It's just if they're under the authority within the home, they're to obey the commands of the parents for kids. 
What does this look like in your own lives? How are you doing? Husbands, how are you doing in leading and loving? How are you doing at being sacrificial and being patient and kind? Wives, how are you doing with submission? Are you willfully putting yourself under the authority? I want you to pray about that as the elements are being passed out. And then we're going to take communion together, and we're going to thank God that he gives us his word, even though it convicts, and especially because it convicts. And I want you to pray that God would help you make the changes that need to be made in your home. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word today. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God of order, that, God, you lay out the order for us so we know how to walk rightly in it. Lord, it's for our good, it's for our holiness, and it's for your glory. May we do a better job, Lord at walking in the way that you call us to walk and living in the way that you call us to live, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.